Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. You know where you are, and you should know who this is. This is Tyler Schaff, and I am the co-host. Boy, it's going to eventually get used to saying that. Of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. How you doing, Mike? Here's the other guy. Hey, it's Mike Marino. All right. Today, we're going to talk about document. We're calling this document detail dangers, and we've... uh, We've had a lot, both had a lot of experience in this over the years, and we're going to talk about some of the stories that have come up uh, both in the past and, and as, as recent as just the other day, where we've seen some very interesting things and in documents that we've either reviewed to be signed uh, or are thinking about uh, signing or are presented to us. So anything you want to add to that, Mike? Yeah. I mean, as most of you know, we're, well, we operate a fund, so we're actively looking for properties to buy and looking at exit strategies. And as we learn different exit strategies, we're talking to possible vendors. And vendors always have legal contracts. Yes, they do. Half the time, yeah, they don't. I don't think they even read their own stuff half the time. Do you? Oh my gosh! Well, especially the people like who the sales reps, they have no clue what's in the contract. We've noticed that. Right. And what we find is that most folks don't read what they sign. There's a story. I I will tell you the story here probably towards the end if we have time. I want to try to keep this episode. under 30 minutes if we can. I don't know if we're going to succeed or fail at that, Mike, but we'll tell the story of uh, what's in the, hidden in the fine print down here in Key West we just discovered. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I want to, everybody, sh- we hear this all the time. I hear this all over the place. Read it before you sign it. I got to tell you guys, I've been at this game a long time and Mike has suffered through a closing with me and he'll tell you, but the good news is, I guess for you it wasn't suffering because you do the same thing I do. We read yeah, we read every single line of every document. It drives title companies crazy, drives attorneys crazy. And if I don't understand something, I know you, Mike, if you don't understand something, what are you going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do? I'm going to read it first. I'm going to read it again. And now I know I'm going to call up my attorney friends. But in the past, before I had attorney friends, because honestly, a few years ago, I used to be scared of attorneys. So I used to do the worst thing. Google it. <laughs> You know, it's funny you say that because I used to be afraid of attorneys too. I did. Really? Attorneys, my friends of mine are listening and probably going, yeah. But seriously, it was, uh, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, they were. I viewed them as a position of authority. Maybe I had a guilty conscience. Who knows? But they kind of freaked me out a little bit. I've never really been a, ready to sidle up next to them. But anyway, one of the things I see, Mike, and I've seen this most recent with some of our vendor contracts is they don't give us, I don't feel that most people give people the time to review documentation. For example, you're, you're in a sales pitch, right? You get, you get through a sales pitch. They slide the contract under your nose and then they sit there and look at you while you're supposed to sign it. Everybody now I think is so numb to it. Yes. I like one of your stories you talked about. You went on a catamaran cruise a few days ago down Key West, right? Yep. Yeah. And and actually you share, you share that about the contract. As soon as you showed up to the boat, you got your towels, your sunscreen ready to go. You want to be on the boat, and all of a sudden they throw this contract in front of you. And they all do it down here. Most people just sign and just walk on and all have no clue what they That's just right. signed for. They have you, so you can't get on the boat until you sign the hold harmless agreement. And, you know, I'm I'm that I'm that guy that's got to read it. So, you know, everybody else is getting ready to get on the boat, and I'm the guy blocking the line. I'll step out of the way, but I want to read the damn thing. And I realized that they're basically making me sign my rights away. So that they, I don't care what they do. I don't have any, any, anything, right? Uh, not, a, not any recourse. So to be honest with you, I don't sign my name to those things. Oh, really? There may be ink on the paper, but that's not my signature. I don't write my name on it. 
I don't, I don't give them any proof. I know what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to get me to waive my rights in a hurry so I can get to the, the free rum runners. Uh, but I'm not, I don't do it. And I'm, well, I would be curious. I wish Sean was here because I'd like to know, ask, know from him. I mean, I'll literally put a dot on it and then my name's not on it. They have no, if you tried to pull up that document or search for it with Tyler Chef's name on it, I wish you luck because I have never been one to sign those things. I did it for the first couple of years when I was an adult and getting those charter things. But after that, nah, I don't sign them anymore. And I've gone round and round with people that you can't get on the boat. That's fine that I'm not getting on the boat. I literally will not waive my rights because as I've seen down here in Key West, I'll end it this way. We almost had a collision at sea. We were in a sailboat race last year. And these two captains, this one captain, our boat captain, was a jackass. And we are in a big-time fancy sailboat, and we're hooking 15 knots in a sailboat in eight-foot seas, and we smacked the back end of his boat, of the other boat in front of us. That's dangerous. That's how people get killed. And no, I'm not waving those rights, but that's just me. Yeah, but it goes to show you most people just sign and hop on and go for the booze cruise. So unfortunately, you've probably seen it too. I mean, you're a realtor. You deal with contracts all the time. The the most of your clients actually read what they're signing at the closing table at the title company? None. Very, very rarely. So what I, what I started doing Mike these days is when I get into a con, I get a client on a contract that I haven't worked with before. I'm going to send them an explainer video A video, and I'm going to hit the points that, that, yeah, I make a video. I use loom as a software and I will walk through. Okay, guys, this first section, here's the intent of this section. I want you to read through these things, pay particular attention to everything that's not, that's filled in. That's not boilerplate. Because this is a state-approved contract, one put out by the, my my pitch, right? I happen to use the Far Bar real estate contract. Why do I use that? Well, number one, everybody—I say everybody—realtors and, and real estate attorneys are used to seeing this agreement. And this has been an agreement between the Florida Association of Realtors and the Florida Bar. They say this is a good framework for a contract. You can add things to it. You can line things out if you want. But I like it because it it, it makes a lot of sense for the most part. Anything that I add to that contract, handwriting typed in or whatever, otherwise, I make sure I pay particular attention to those things and I have the client sign off on those things so everybody's clear. Mm-hmm. But what we find, and I know, Mike, you've experienced this, when we're in a sales environment, sometimes the salesman is so hell-bent on closing the deal, air quotes, that they're not really, they don't really care whether you read it, understand it, It's let's get to the closing table and that, that can open up a whole bunch of a whoopee. Yeah. And in our experience that we had a few days ago, like I mentioned, the salesman has no clue what's actually on that contract at all. Correct. Um, you know, for example, we're looking at some exit strategies some for some of our new investments up in uh, Tarpon right. Springs, Florida, right? And we were looking at a potential co-living situation. So we reached out to a co-living uh, management company, I guess you would call them. They call themselves more of a tech app, which always scares me, by the way, when people just want to yeah. hide behind, oh, <laughs> I'm a good just sales a pitch. <laughs> Right. No responsibility. Please sign here. Yeah. <laughs> but when Tyler, Jill, and myself actually went through the contract, oh my gosh, was it scary. Oh, it was a nightmare. I mean, yep. what we were talking about, we're almost embarrassed to ask our attorney to review it because we could see how one-sided and horrible this. <laughs> yeah, I it that one I spared myself the embarrassment of sending it to Sean to look at because exactly. I don't need Sean to tell me that I'm not going to agree to this. I know that Sean wouldn't want me to agree to this, but it was so egregious 
that I'm, I already can tell you right now, I could care less if Sean approved it or not. I still wouldn't sign it because I think it's garbage. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we found, guys, and that these co-living things, and this is why you have to read your paperwork, the agreement is between you and the co-living provider. Uh, let's call them Jimmy's Co-Living. Well, Jimmy's Co-Living is a company. They source the tenants and put them in your property. So your lease agreement is between you and Jimmy's Co-Living. Mm-hmm. which means you, the people that are in the house, you don't really have a direct agreement with. You have it with the company that they have an agreement with. And it begs the question, in the event something goes haywire, I don't want that person in that house anymore for whatever reason. Do I have the legal right to even get rid of them? I didn't even need to pick up the phone and call Sean. I don't need to know the answer. I don't like the scenario because it smells. It takes control of the scenario out of my hands. I don't care if Sean says it's fine. doesn't matter. I'm not comfortable with it. Therefore, I'm not going to sign the agreement. Exactly. It's basically saying we're going to put tenants in there, but you can't evict them. You have no say who I'm going to put in there and you can't get rid of them if they're being bad. Uh, Right. Another crazy thing in this contract. And we give these examples so everyone can realize people are just signing this thing. Yeah. This the company that we're we're talking about. They're very very large and very popular. And I've been looking. Yeah, they they fill up. They have a high success rate. But I I'm very curious if the landlords actually read it. For example, when you sign the contract, the management company dictates what you are going to do with your house. What Correct. we're going to tell you, you need to build walls. You need to increase capacity. We're going to uh, we're going to cut up this kitchen, make it half size so we could put another uh, bed and bathroom in here. And you're going to have to put it. You're going to have to pay the contractor to do it, pay the painter to paint it the color that we want, or else you're in breach of contract and the landlord is defaulting. Can you believe that? You're actually having tenants in your house, your building, and they can default on you from breach of contract? Correct. And here's the other mind-blowing thing. And I talked to a guy that's an operator that does this, that rents to one of these companies. His idea was, well, I don't really have to do that because the local city uh, building part won't give me a permit for it. So I don't have to do it. So that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm -hmm. Wrong answer. What happened in his case was, and this was out of state. It wasn't in Florida. It was another state. But he signed the agreement with the co-living provider. Mm -hmm. The co-living provider then said, you will do this. And basically meant you will add you will put up walls and add additional walls and whatnot and take out this wall. And, and the city wouldn't allow it because it changed the density and it wasn't considered it. No, it was a single family property. They were trying to operate it as a multifamily property. Therefore the zoning did not allow for that because the zoning did not allow for that. They would not issue a building permit. And he was like, well, I see the city won't let me do it. You can't enforce this part of the contract. And the co-living company took him to court and prevailed. They sought damages because he couldn't break the law. Therefore they claimed they were damaged and they were able to successfully settle and they got like $75,000 uh, damage settlement in court. And because they, the way their contract is worded prevailing party, which means the one who wins the, the one who loses had the guy had to pay their legal fees oh so they could sue him. So they hired some rock star attorney you know, Johnny Cochran or whoever to go in there and sue this guy. He's just, this, you know, older dude, single guy with this house. He gets sued and has to pay like, I don't know, actually like $75,000 plus legal fees. Wow. So in the end, it cost him like a hundred grand, which they then, he didn't have the money. So they foreclosed and, and 
lost the house because he didn't read the contract. Sale of the house. That's correct. Didn't read the contract. And that's a rare, I mean, obviously that's a, that's an extreme example and I'm sure that's not the case across the board, but it lends itself to the whole concept of we've got to read these con- We have to understand that contracts are there because people intend to enforce them. Sometimes contracts are there specifically such that another party dishonest or otherwise fully intends on enforcing the parameters of that contract. So you've got to be sure on what the rules are before you agree to do something, which goes into the kind of this next segment, Mike, we talked about uh, knowing where the rules are, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'll just go back to the co-living contract because it kind of leads us into here. One of the big red flags that we saw is that it's the landlord's responsibility to make sure this contract is legal. So the guy who's signing it, not reading it, doesn't realize, like your friend's example, he's now on the hook to make sure that what he's doing is legal. So what it means by legal is zoning. So that kind of brings us into the zoning question. And as we've been looking at exit strategies, zoning keeps coming up. And it does, as we mentioned, by like two podcasts ago that we love city council meetings. We love going down the city because we want to be the good people. We want to follow the rules. So now that that person, right, who signed the contract, how do they make sure that they're doing the legal thing? And so we mentioned attorneys. And what we also discovered is a lot of people are are fearful of attorneys and myself, right? Once I became friends with the attorney, I realized that there's like 300 specialties out there. So not only are they like considered the judge and you're, you're kind of afraid of them. Now you realize there's 300 different ones and you've got to pick the right one or else your representation isn't as solid as you were hoping for. That's so, correct. So Tyler, in, in your it, experience, when you're looking for an attorney in a specialty you haven't dealt with, how do you find that one? You don't just pick up the yellow pages and just call John Smith attorney, right? What I've found is that, especially in the real estate space, attorneys can be somewhat territorial. In other words, there are attorneys that are used to working with the the, the commissions and the boards and the councils in certain municipalities. For example, if it's going to be, if I'm going to have an issue with my daughter's condo in West Chase, Sean Yesner lives in, in West Chase, has his office right next to, used to have his office in West Chase, he's now technically in Clearwater, but he has a lot of experience with the HOAs. He's actually sits on, I think he sits on the board or he's corporate counsel for one of the HOAs um, in his own community where he lives. So he has relevant experience there. I'm not going to probably take a Tarpon Springs attorney into West Chase. If I want to get something done in West Chase, I'm going to hire Sean because he has experience in that area. Um, same goes true for Tarpon Springs. Now we want to get specific zoning things taken care of in Tarpon Springs. I may want to look for an attorney who has been in front of the Tarpon Springs commission or the planning board or has experience with specific to Tarpon Springs, maybe has more, has more, uh, time and uh, history working with that, that, uh, government body because they're it, logically, they're going to be more successful provided that they're a good attorney. I mean, there are attorneys that go in there and piss everybody else off. There are that too. So that for me, that's where we go back to the old thing of city council, Mike, I sit and watch those city council meetings. I watch planning and zoning boards and guys, yes, I know they're about as exciting as watching paint dry, but here's what I've learned. You can download those video files and play them. They're always in, usually on YouTube and you you can just let it stream and put your headphones in. And you know, I walk to work every day because it takes me nine minutes to walk from my house down to wall street to my, my office. So every day I consume 18 minutes of some sort of governmental meeting. 
Uh, and yes, I realize they're hours and hours long sometimes. It's okay. There's a fast forward button. But my point is I get to hear what's happened in the past. I also use the local newspapers. Begrudgingly, I had to resubscribe to the St. Petersburg Times or the Tampa Bay Times again because now these damn newspapers are – you get to see two articles, they block you off. But now I'm looking for what has gone on in the city of Tarpon Springs over the last couple of years when I've been here in Key West that I need to be aware of as far as planning and zoning. There have been some things that were granted. Other things were pulled apart. The city manager is apparently getting replaced. The city attorney has resigned. Same kind of thing is going on here in Key West. I want to read – as much information as I can so I can form some sort of a logical opinion. Moving to the next section, kind of along those lines, Mike, you had talked about where do we go for the source. I called the city and say, hey, I bought a property. The address is 123 Anywhere Street. I want to do this. And you know what they tell me almost every time is? What's that? You can't do that. They tell me that in Key West. They tell me that in Tarpon Springs. They tell me that in Tampa. They tell me that in Memphis. They always tell me that. But you have to understand the person that's sitting on the other end of the phone that says you can't do that usually is not the decision maker because governments are run by more than one person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are people, and human beings have opinions. I have an opinion on something, on everything, right? We all do. Um, what you'll find sometimes is the answers you get over the phone are someone's opinion or the way they'd like to see it done. Short, quick example. Jill wanted to put at our Tarpon Springs uh, vacation rentals, we, it's four apartments building there, and we wanted to put our trash cans out by the street. Well, you can't leave them out there for whatever reason, Code. So Jill wanted to build a corral to keep them together. We went down to the city and asked for permission, and they were like, nah, can't do that. Not without a building permit. Literally, it's like some 4 by 4s and some 2 by 4s and we're going to etch it and make it look cool. Now you can't do that. Well, I did it anyway. So then I was like, then they, I talked to one of the code enforcement officers. And they're like, oh, that's really cool what you did with that corral. I'm like, thank you. And that's the last we've ever talked about it. We have been told that we could, we were told that we couldn't do Airbnb when we first opened that place. And then I said, I went to my zoning. Like, Why can't I do it? You're not zoned for it. What is my zoning? And the answer was, we don't know. Mm. Why don't you know? There's a daycare center across the street from me. Should we shut that down too? They're like, well, that's legal. I'm like, well, then we have the same zoning. Mm. And what I found out is that we are highway commercial because we're one block off of US 19. So I can actually do pretty much whatever I want there because the list of permissible uses are right there in the code, guys. Every city in America has their code, most of them do anyway, online, city code, city charter. That's where you go to distill that information. What can I do and what can't I do? What's permissible? Uh, What is automatically good to go? There's a list of those. And then there's what are the things that I could probably do if I get someone's permission? Those are two different ways. Uh, so I would begin there because here's the thing, Mike, you go hire the attorney, guess what they're going to do all that preliminary research. So you want to go spend 15 grand paying an attorney to research for you at $400 an hour, knock yourself out. I would rather sit down and get an understanding, which when we bought the, the division street property, that's exactly what we, you and I and Jill all did. We dove into city code. We broke it up, took separate sections so that we all had it. And then we would meet several times a week to discuss it. So would you say, Mike, that we have an expertise in City of Tarpon Springs code at this point? <laughs> we, we do. And I kind of want to clarify the process. So we're always going to city council meetings. We're listening. That's kind of step one, mm-hmm. just to get our brains yes. going. Number two is we go down to city council. We ask the bureaucrat, can we do this? Most likely, if they say no, 
Now our third way is let's go to the code. Let's go to the black and white, whether the state code, the, uh, the zoning code of the city of Tarpon Springs, it's all online. And I'll, I'll bring this again. When you go online, make sure it's a .gov website. It's the real yes. solid thing. It's, no, it's not somebody's opinion on it. Even if they've done it in the past and somebody on Facebook says, oh, I do this all the time. You want the black and white .gov. And I know you will you, find that most people. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't interrupt you, but most folks are going to, including city employees, know this yeah. folks are going to overlook that. You're going to have to draw them into it. When you call your attorney to say paragraph three, subsection two of Tarpon Springs city code says this. Yeah. Is that true? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You know, so, so basically we're, we're trying to get educated before we even pick up the phone with the attorney, because we all know they can by the minute. <laughs> right. And it kind of goes, they should. It goes to the other point, too. Like I mentioned, there's like almost 300 probably more specialties of attorneys. And the more we educate ourselves by going to the actual code itself, now we can vet the attorney. All right, I don't want to pay this guy six hours so he can learn what I just learned. <laughs> right. So you want to educate yourself. I want him to represent me. That's right. Yeah. You know, I think the attorney is going to do better in front of a commission than I would because it's just part of their job. Now, I'm pretty good in front of a crowd and I can think on my feet, but most folks have, I would venture to say, most people are not comfortable in front of a, a room of people that are in a position of authority. Is that, would you say that's accurate, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm just absolutely. Doing my own job. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, exactly. Like you got to get on the, I'm, the first time you got on the PA there and said, this is your captain speaking. I bet you were probably like, Oh my God, what if I, what if I say a wrong word? <laughs> yeah. But, um, officer Marino from the flight deck, <laughs> That's first right. officer Marino. But yeah, position authority is the same thing in the cockpit. There's that authority with the captain and the first officer. And yeah, that's kind of like a psychological game. But it's the same thing in real life too. When you're dealing with attorneys, you're dealing with judges, you're dealing with anybody in the city. They're just people. Educate yourself That's right. by reading the code uh, so you know how to speak their language and you can pick out the BS. You can pick out the bullshit because, unfortunately, like you mentioned, a lot of city That's employees right. will bullshit, so they have to do less work. Amen. And, I, and here's a good example of this. When we first started venturing out in Key West, I went downtown and said, I would like to know what the process is to transfer a transient license from one property to another. And I'm standing at the desk now. What they didn't know is I just came out of a city council meeting, but we'll, leave, we'll save that for a second. The person at the counter said, you cannot transfer a transient license in the city of Key West. I said, well, I just came from the city council meeting on the other side of that wall, and that's exactly what they did three times. So where's the person that helped them facilitate that? Oh, well, we don't like to do that. I understand. I don't like to do it either. It's a big hassle. But we're in, we're entitled to do it. Clearly, it just happened. How do I get it done? And then they re reluctantly give you the information. That's a true story, boys and girls. When you're in a contract and it's not considered bilateral, which means, and that's a legal term, and this is not legal advice because I'm only an attorney on TV. I don't. I'm not a real attorney. I just pretend to be one on a podcast. Just kidding aside, Sean's probably rolling his eyes right now. But um, the. It's common in the real estate space for attorney or for contracts to be unilateral, which means they only they favor one side over the other. And a good example of this is in Tampa Bay area, for example, there are a few realty companies. They're licensed realtors, believe it or not, 
that are also wholesalers. I think it's unethical, but that's a, that's a topic for another day. They have their clients. First of all, you have to go in and sit in their offices. They use high-pressure sales tactics to get a $5,000 non-refundable earnest money deposit out of you on a property you've often never seen that they don't have the authority to sell in the first place. Uh, they'll force you into contracts that are 100% in their favor, and you basically waive all your rights, kind of like the whole charter boat thing, mm. just with real estate. Wow! If you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach that you are in an uncomfortable spot, that's your logic telling you something. That's when you pull the trigger and say, I, you know what? I'm not comfortable doing this. I'm not going to do it. They still call me for every once in a while. Maybe they think that I'm down here in Key West getting drunk and they'll slip up and get me to sign something. But it's like, dude, I have rallied against you guys. I'm going to do a podcast probably and expose you thieves here soon just so you'll eventually stop calling me. I mean, you threatened me with lawsuits. That didn't work. Uh, it's just unfortunate that that's the way some people want to do business. I had another example where I had hired a marketing company to market my services, my realtor services. I paid them $10,000 to run targeted ads on YouTube uh, to go into a sales funnel. Well, they failed at their job miserably. They misspelled my name, had the phone number wrong, had the website address wrong. They just It was a train wreck. I was getting leads to sell houses in Indiana. I have a Florida real estate license, and I sell houses in Tampa Bay market and in Key West, not in Indiana. So I took their contract, and I sent it to Sean Yesner and had him review it reluctantly I had him review it after I signed it. See, I didn't take my own advice. I signed the contract because it was a one pager. What could possibly go wrong? That was the one of the times that I didn't actually read something. But when he looked at the contract, he noticed that there was no, didn't mention what jurisdiction applied. Therefore, essentially the first person to in the contract to bring a suit, it applies in my jurisdiction, which means that we, we could take it to local Pinellas County court. Sean can haul them into court. They're going to have to hire somebody locally to defend themselves. Hmm. And when I had Sean write them a letter, I'm trying to think, did I have him write a letter? I think I did. Anyway, I got my $10,000 back right away wow. and that apology letter uh, because there were problems with the contract that enabled that to happen. So that's one example where the contract actually works in your advantage. Yeah. So uh, let's see here. Another one that always comes up is insurance, right? Yes. When you get insurance policies and you're just signing every page, what is it, like sometimes 20, 30 pages of it? It's kind of sad. So obviously Fort Myers got hit by the nasty hurricane. Uh, I was actually speaking to a flight attendant yesterday on, on a flight uh, up to Detroit. And she was telling me her house is destroyed. And so I asked, well, oh, how are things going with the insurance? She says, well... We're not near the ocean. We're nine miles away from the ocean, so we didn't get flood insurance. However, there's a river about a few blocks down, and it's the river that overflowed and destroyed my house. So insurance is refusing to pay everything. So looking back, I doubt she read her entire uh, insurance. And maybe if she has, maybe she didn't have a, somebody really on her side, a real good insurance person to say, hey, yeah, you're, you're not far away from the ocean, but that river... It has a history of flooding. You might want to consider flood insurance and whatnot. That's a tough one because, first of all, when it comes to insurance, guys, there's the one of the very front pages of your policy, it, li it lists the exceptions of coverage. Mm. That's what you want to focus on. The mm. Insurance policies don't say what's covered. They say what's not covered. And you need to be looking for that what's not, what's not covered. Same thing with title insurance. You'll get an exception report when you buy a property. Nobody ever reads it. I'm one of the, probably one of the few realtors that actually has their clients sign it. 
but you need to have a, an exception. You'll review the exception report, which means we'll insure it, but we're not going to cover these things. Your car insurance, same thing, an exception. Uh, you want to look for the ex- exceptions. One of the exceptions is if you go out and do drugs or get drunk and drive your car and get in an accident, yeah, there's no coverage for you. They will not cover that. That's how drunks get in an accident, hurt somebody, and lose their house uh, if it's not homestead protected because of that situation. So you want to look at look in that fine print. I don't necessarily think you have to read the whole contract, but I would definitely focus on the exceptions. If you're not, if you're going to choose to read something, focus on that. What is not covered? Uh, and in this case, you know, guys, we've learned a lot of lessons from the Fort Myers hurricane. And one of the lessons I'm implementing is I'm getting flood insurance on my properties anyway, even though I don't need it, I'm still going to get it because one, now that I realize that there's holes in my policies in the event that something like this comes up, I think it's time to put flood insurance in play uh, for most of my properties. Not all of them. I don't not I don't buy properties in flood zones generally, and I don't have any properties right now in my portfolio, except for I've one up in, in uh, Cleveland Heights, Ohio, that is uh, in a flood zone. I can't help it. I can't move it out of the flood zone. I tried. But um, get flood insurance. I mean, because here's the thing. If you get flood insurance for a property that's not in a flood zone, it's actually quite affordable mm. because it's considered diminished risk. Oh, that's true. So you can a lot of times pick up those policies for a couple hundred bucks because logically the chances of there being one, an issue, are slim. So hope that helps. That That's right. Yeah, because people don't want to pay flood insurance because they think they're saving you know, a few hundred dollars, but if it only costs a dollar, then <laughs> what are you really saving? Good point. I right. Think, Seems I think like a no brainer. It's like that warranty. But when they ask you when you're at Walmart these days, you know, you buy a, a new belt, they're like, you want the warranty? Right? <laughs> it's like, well, the warranty is useless unless the belt breaks. <laughs> and frankly, with Walmart, you could just go return the belt. So you don't really need the warranty. <laughs> right. But, you know, insurance is a personal decision for some people that for some people I know don't, don't believe in insurance. I'm a believer in insurance because why not? I and a good example of people saying no over the phone. Short story before we wrap up this episode. I had a building up in Memphis, Tennessee that I had a pretty big claim on a sewage claim. And uh, the insurance company said no. They We said, no, you don't have any coverage because that falls under flooding. I'm like, no. Now, I called an insurance adjuster. An insurance adjuster came out and said, I beg to differ. That is 100% covered by the policy, we'll take the claim. And they they got me a six-figure claim out of that deal. Uh, so they paid it. But they tried to wiggle out of it. So just keep that in mind, folks. Wow. All right, thanks, everyone, for listening. I want to I give the cliff notes, right, because we've talked about a lot here. So number one, always have an exit strategy, right? Number two, when you have an exit strategy idea, go to city council meetings, listen to if its idea is actually feasible. Number three, go to city uh, town hall, ask, hey, can I do this? Yes or no? Go to a .gov website, find the actual code. Just You don't have to be an attorney. Just be familiar with it. The next step, go find an attorney who specializes in that because now you're already educated. Which goes to the other question, how do you find a specialty attorney for what you're looking for? And Tyler mentioned to this, uh, mentioned to, this to me uh, actually a few minutes ago. I thought it was a genius idea. If you look at somebody else who has this exit business model, Find out who they use for as an attorney. That was some great advice I didn't think of that you mentioned, Tyler, because uh, there's attorney billboards like every, it seems like every 100 feet in Vegas, right? You don't know which right. one actually can help you. But if you find somebody who's done your business model, find their attorney. And that's probably a good start, it sounds like, huh? 
Yep, sure does. Absolutely does. Well, guys, we're going to wrap it right there. We appreciate you taking the time to come out with us. I hope you walk away with us and some usable facts. I mean, this stuff is unfortunately probably the most often overlooked issues. And this is probably one of the biggest gotchas is not paying attention to the details in the documents. You're going to, anything you do in real estate or otherwise is going to involve lots of documentation. Keep in mind, documentation it usually is favors the person that's handing it to you, not you. So you want to make sure that information is clear, that you understand what you're getting yourself into, and that you're not going to paint yourself into a corner and make an unpleasant experience for yourself and your family down the road. Guys, we're going to leave, leave, leave it right there. We hope you have a great week, and we'll catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.